Hey, what's up, church? My name is Matt Chirac, and I am privileged and honored to be the director of students here at Propel Church. And man, I'm so excited to be bringing to you week three of our Pace Problem series. We're going to be talking about the subject of restlessness today. But before we get into the subject matter, I'd just like to pause and say, hey, thank you so much for joining us. If it's your first time with us, we're so honored that you would choose to spend time with us, whether you're watching on demand in the future, if you're hanging out at a house party, or if you're watching from a watch party on Line. We just ask you to do us a small favor. If you would, go on over to propel.church slash online. Hit the connect button. It's got some basic information for you to fill out. I promise we're not going to do anything weird with this information. We're not coming to your house to knock on your door. We're not going to hit you up on any social media platform. We'd just really love to send you a free gift and just again to say thank you for spending time with us today. It is uh, currently October, so we're in Pastor Appreciation Month, so I'd love to just pause right here and just say, hey, Pastor Nick, thank you so much for being you, man. I'm so grateful to be led by you, to be mentored by you, and I definitely know that you couldn't do what you do without your incredible wife, Tori, and I'm very thankful for you, and both of you have made a tremendous impact on my life personally, and I know on the church and this community as well. Uh, whenever I fall short, one of the things I love that y'all do is you, you just you shoot grace arrows at me and it just it encourages me and it helps, helps spur me forward. So church, I encourage you, take some time this month, sit down, write out something that, that Pastor Nick and Tori have done for you. Send them something encouraging. I promise you that words of affirmation and words of encouragement go a very long way with ministry leaders. I know that they would appreciate hearing from you how much that you appreciate them. Currently, we are in this series called Pace Problems, and normally this is the point where I will do a run-through of the past couple of weeks that we've been in, but I've got a ton of content to hit today, so I'm just going to do the Cliff's Notes. So in week one and week two, we basically talked about running a race. We're running this race, and because we haven't assessed our pace, we're gassed out. And Pastor Nick gave us a couple reasons why we're gassing out, and so today I'd like to talk about the pace of restlessness and before we jump into it, I'd like to just pray for us real quick, and then we're going to dive head first in. Dear Jesus, we love you so much. This is all for you. It's all about you. Lord, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth today. And we pray these things in the beautiful and powerful name of Jesus. So this morning, I got out of bed because I wanted something. And to be honest, I kind of thought about not getting out of bed because it's fall. It's a little chilly. It was nice and warm and cozy in my bed. And, but I had these desires. I had these things that I wanted to do. Mainly, I wanted to get up before the two-headed monster, that is Aaron and Colton, came out of their lair. And Lord knows, as soon as their little eyes open and their little feet hit the ground, man, they are, they are running the race at a pace that is not sustainable. Let me tell you, I have to start before them and I have to finish before them to keep up. I wanted to drink some coffee, to spend some time with Jesus and really get ahead of the day. I have all these things that I'd like to accomplish throughout the day. I have all these desires. And the thing about desire is, desire is a great motivator. It's the engine of our lives. But if at any point desire is no longer under our control, is instead driving our lives, I think you and I are in trouble. And church, I'll be honest with you, I think, I think that's where we're at right now. I think, I think we have some unsatisfied desires. I think we have some fleshly desires. And the thing about fleshly desires is they're never satisfying. It's never enough. It's like an itch that you can't scratch enough. The great theologians, the Rolling Stones said it great. I can't get no satisfaction. And so you and I are at this place. For my mathematicians, I'll put it this way. Infinite desire, 
minus a finite soul equals restlessness. And we're living with this chronically unsatisfied desire that's keeping us restless. Let's see what God's word has to say about it. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. It says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. I love that. It says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of the sinful nature. And so I just want to clarify on this because I know there was lots of sinful nature and lots of opposites and things like that. So right now we're, we're actually at war. There's a battle going on. There's a sinful nature. There's fleshly desire. And then there's desires of the Spirit. And the thing about the culture that you and I live in is that it's constantly feeding us those fleshly desires. Did you know that you and I are exposed to over 4,000 ads a day? 4,000 ads a day, all of them feeding and just stoking that flame of desire, wanting us to go for more and to reach for more and, and to just add to that, 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 that consumption in our lives. I call this the twin-headed God of accumulation and accomplishment because it's all around us. It's on Facebook. It's on Instagram, right? I mean, we don't do it on purpose, but I don't put my personal life on blast on social media. Normally, I understand that I have a platform and I want to be uh, well-respected and represent my family and the organizations that I partner with well. So I usually only put things on there that are picture-perfect, per se. I think a lot of us do that. And what we're actually doing is we're putting unfair goals and unfair desires for the rest of us because we're constantly reaching to do more and more and more. And it's not just on social media. We see it on infomercials. We see it in commercials on TV. We see it driving down the, the boulevard. You'll see all of these posters and things on the side of the road, advertisements that are constantly asking us to do more with our time. And it leaves us in the state of restlessness. It leaves us worn out, sick, aggravated, and frustrated. And if you're anything like me, I'm also a type A, type a workaholic to add to it. It was kind of given to me by my family. And so what happens is I really enjoy working and I really enjoy busyness and I really enjoy doing something all of the time. And it just continues to stoke that flame of desire in my life. I would spend my days off trying to catch up. And usually they were a forced day off. <laughs> I would just work until I crashed. I wrote it in my notes like this, that when we're burning the candle from both ends, we're not as bright as we think we are. That's a great dad joke right there. Y'all should, should write amen in the chat for that. And so for over the past probably three or four months, God has been trying to slow me down a little bit. He's been teaching me what it means to have a spirit of restfulness. And so I've had the opportunity to share this message that I'm teaching here with you today, not on a microphone or in front of a camera, but to some of the people that I do life with. And you would be really surprised at what some of the people say to me and their excuses for being busy. I heard the other day, well, Matt, the devil doesn't take days off. <laughs> well, I got a spoiler alert for you. He's the devil and he loses. And God doesn't desire for you and I to be losers. God says that you and I are winners and he wants us to have a spirit of restfulness. Ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. 
So we need to take our focus off of the things of this world and our focus off of our fleshly desires, off of things like the 4,000 plus ads that we see in this culture that we live in, in this crazy world that we live in. And we need to place it on an infinite God, the infinite one, the only one who can sustain our infinite desires. We can only be satisfied by God. We were made for God, by God, and to do life with God. And when we displace our infinite desires on things of this world, it leads to destruction. And that's not what God desires for us. I wrote it in my notes like this, that a spirit of restfulness versus spirit of restlessness looks like this. It's margin versus busyness. It's slow versus hurry. It's quiet versus noise. Deep relationships versus isolation. Clarity versus confusion. Enjoyment versus envy. Gratitude versus greed. Peace versus anxiety. Working as a contribution rather than working for accumulation and accomplishment. Love versus anger and angst. Working from love rather than working for love. And church, I don't know which one of those lists resonates with you, but if I'm honest, even though I've been studying this and I feel like God's laid this message on my heart for several months now, I still can really resonate with a lot of things on the restlessness side of the list. I still really struggle with those things. So how do we become restful? How do we fix our pace, right? How do we keep from getting gassed out and how do we get rid of this pace of restlessness? Well, we make a pit stop. Hebrews chapter four, verse 11 says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. And so we take a Sabbath day. A Sabbath day is a 24-hour day. It's not the same as a day off. It's an intentional effort for us to take rest, to experience rest the godly way. We see Jesus' Sabbath day, or we, we excuse me, Sabbath simply means to stop in delight. It means to, to stop in delight. The, the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat, and when you translate that word, it has two meanings, and it means to stop in delight. And we see Jesus lead this example. He stops in delights throughout his entire, throughout his entire life. We see it all through the four Gospels. There's things that we call spiritual disciplines, and since we don't like the word spiritual disciplines, I'll use the word core practices. And these core practices are things that we see Jesus do that he doesn't outwardly say, but we watch Jesus, Jesus do it as we tell the stories throughout the Gospels, or as we read the stories throughout the Gospels. So following Jesus is something that you and I do. So we need to follow his lead and his core practices. This is one of the stories from when Jesus was on his Sabbath day. He was with his disciples and his homies, and they were walking and enjoying a nice hike, I'll say, and they were going through this field. And as they were kind of picking grain and eating it, the Sadducees got mad at him. He was in trouble with the Sadducees because he was harvesting on the Sabbath day, Sabbath day. And this is what Jesus says to the Sadducees. He says in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is letting us know, hey, God created this Sabbath day as a gift to you and I. I think a lot of times you and I look at a Sabbath day and we're like, man, there's no way I can take a whole 24-hour day to rest and to worship God. I can't do it because we have a bad perspective. It was actually given to us as a gift. The day was made as a blessing for you and I. I have these four P's of rest is what I call them. And this is the four P's of 
what I call uh, for, for my Sabbath day. This is how the practical things that I do in order to accomplish a good Sabbath day or a great Sabbath day in order to stop and delight in God. It's plan, praise, power down, and pause. And I'm going to give you all four right from the start because I love you all so much. So it's plan, praise, power down, and pause. There's a, a great writer. I just read this book earlier this year, and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it was pretty life-changing for me. I think I've shared it with some of you. And one of the things that the author says is, we achieve true inner peace when our schedules align with our values. So I think you and I, the first thing we have to do is we have to plan a Sabbath day. We have to realize that this needs to be a priority in our life, that it's important because God said it was important. Do you know that God knew that we were so silly that he was going to have to command us to rest and to take a Sabbath day? We have to plan for this. And in order to do that, Tori says it great. She says, you have to say no to good things, to say yes to great things. And that's true for our Sabbath. Sometimes that means when we sit down with our husband or a wife or when we sit down and look at our calendar for the whole month and there's not lots of blank space on there. There's not lots of white space on there. Well, we have to start saying no to some good things in order to say yes to this great thing that is the Sabbath day. We have to make it a priority in our lives and we have to plan for it. We have to have a predetermined response. So when distraction comes, so when this, these desires of the flesh and when this twin-headed God of accumulation and accomplishment comes knocking on the door, we already know this is, this is my Sabbath day. So I'm saying no, so that I could say yes to great things. We also see that this is God's plan from the beginning of time. In Genesis chapter 1, we see God create everything in six days. Man, woman, the birds and the fish in the sea. And on the seventh day, God rested. He sets the example for us. It was all a part of his plan for us. It's ingrained in you and I's DNA from the beginning of time. So when we look at our schedules and we say, well, Matt, you don't understand that I'm working 60 hours a week and I'm homeschool mom or dad now and I've got practices for my kids to go to, but God rested. Well, you don't understand what it's like to try to serve at church and to try to have a group at my house, and, but God rested. Well, you don't understand what my job is like and how demanding it is to have all these kids, and, but God rested. God rested. He took the seventh day to rest and he blessed this day. It is a part of his plan from the beginning of time. The second thing I do is always look to praise God. Always look to worship God, right? Sabbath means to stop and to delight. So we stop, we plan to stop, but then we, we praise and we delight in him. We worship him. So I always have these really interesting conversations with people whenever we're talking about taking a Sabbath day. And a lot of times the first thing that comes up is, hey, what, what does your Sabbath day look like? What do you actually do on a Sabbath day? How do you actually accomplish restful things? So I take it through this twin gritted question, is this rest and worship? And I simply pray through this with God. So in other words, is this restful for my soul and does this activity honor God? And if the answer is no, I simply hold off. I'm not in a rush or a hurry. And that's a whole nother message that we don't have time for today. But I simply hold off. And what I've really come to learn is if I don't get a clear yes from God, then it's a clear no. If there's any confusion, if there's any uncertainty, then it's a clear no. 
And rest and worship are these really broad categories. So even if you and I have discussed my Sabbath day prior and the things that I do, understand that it's okay if our Sabbath days look different. You do you, boo. (laughs) We're all different. We all have different ways of resting our souls. We all have different ways of expressing worship. The important thing is that you set aside a day for nothing but rest Rest and worship. And that doesn't mean that you have to sing Bethel songs in your bed all day or that you have to stay on your iPhone or in your Bible app or in your Bible all day long. Those things are great. But what I really mean is that you want to index your heart towards a grateful recognition of God's sovereignty and goodness. You simply do things that do that. You delight in him and you worship him. You run, laugh, dance, sing, eat, feast, play cards, married people, do married people things. Come on, some of you just said amen for the first time ever in church. (laughs) You go to the park, look at the stars, light candles, write a psalm while, or read a psalm while sharing a personal experience. Something that me and my kids do every Sabbath day, which has helped them learn taking a rest day, is we bake cookies. Come on, that's how you honor God. You bake cookies and you eat fresh cookies with milk. That's incredible. I'll teach my son a new word. Sometimes he teaches me a new word, and he can't really even talk yet. It's anything, anything that indexes your heart towards a grateful recognition of God, his sovereignty, and his goodness. We simply praise and we worship him with our actions, with our words, with everything that we do that day. We stop and we delight. And the possibilities are just absolutely endless. It's an incredible day. Third thing I have for you is, is we power down. We power down. So I power down in two ways. I power down electronically, and I power myself down as well. I slow down. The first thing is really important, to put away electronics. And I don't know about you, but I really struggle. Whenever I take a rest day or whenever I'm trying to spend time with Jesus in the morning or if it's anything outside of the normal 5.30 a.m. time that I spend time with Jesus, I have a really hard time of being distracted by my phone. And sometimes it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It could be somebody from my team that needs something and they send me a message and I get sidetracked. Or it could be a family member that I haven't talked to in a long time. Or it could be something important for work. Who knows? It could be anything. But what I do know is that the world won't stop turning because you put your phone down for 24 hours. I was talking to my good friend the other day and I told her to put her phone in a shoebox Place it in your closet, wrap that thing in Gorilla duct tape, and don't go back to it for 24 hours. And I promise you, the world will not stop. We are important, but we're not that important. We can figure things out. There's a couple of people that I give access to me on my Sabbath day. I don't necessarily lock my phone up where I can't hear it, but I just turn it on to favorites only. So that if uh, somebody from my family calls with an emergency, I'll be able to get that call. But it's important that we put it somewhere that we can eliminate distractions so that we can focus on what really matters. And I think you'll be really surprised on what that does for your soul as you don't spend time on, especially not spending time on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, right? The days that we live in are absolutely crazy. The world is going nuts right now. Anytime you just endlessly and mindlessly scroll through Facebook, you see things that are infecting and latching onto your soul. It does so good for us to just put that thing down for 24 hours. I promise you it's life-changing. Another thing about electronics, if you're anything like me, you probably love The Office. I could find myself watching The Office for hours at a time. Can I just tell you that binge-watching Netflix is not restful? 
You ever notice that whenever you get that little thing that says, hey, are you still watching? And you're all offended, like, yeah, Netflix, I'm still watching. Because you want more, constantly. It's not fulfilling. It's not satisfying to your soul. So put away Netflix. Put away Amazon Prime. Put away things like that where you just check out. Checking out is not good. Again, a day off is not the same as a true day of rest. It actually takes some discipline and spiritual energy in order for us to experience the rest that God is calling us to. So eliminate those distractions. Find ways to worship God, to delight in him, and to have joy in him. Another thing I do, and this is one of my favorite things about my Sabbath day. Uh, if, you, if you've talked to, to me about a Sabbath, one of my favorite words is shluff. I'll take a Sabbath day shluff. Come on. Shluff is the Hebrew word for nap. So become a shluffer. Learn how to take time to lay down and take a nap. You got toddlers, when they take a nap, take you a nap. Fall asleep in the chair like an old man. Snore. Peel the paint off the walls. It's good for you. Become a schluffer. Power down. Take a nap. The last thing I have for you is I pause. And uh, I just recently added this to my notes this past week. Um, I've got a really good friend, and he sent me this app. And the app is simply called Pause. And what it does is it reminds me daily to take a pause with God, and I have it set once in the morning and once in the afternoon. And what it does is it helps me take a benevolent detachment. I use the word benevolent because it's not, it's not angry. It's not out of angst. It's not coming from a place where I have to shut down and check out. No, no, no. What it's helping me do is in a loving way to take 60 seconds to pause and to go with God with no agenda, no prayer list, and I just simply pause. And I breathe and I say, Jesus, I give you everyone and everything and take 60 seconds to pause, to slow my soul down and to rest. I do this on my Sabbath day, but it's also something, as I said, that I've implemented daily. And in fact, my son, my three-year-old called me out on it last night. Last night, I missed a meeting that I was supposed to be a part of. And when I realized I had missed it in my disappointment, I kind of threw my hands into my face and put my head down and my son Colton came around the corner. He's like, dad, 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 are you okay? You okay? And I looked at him. I said, yeah, bud, I'm okay. And he didn't say breathe, but he looked at me and he took this deep breath just and exhaled. And it just felt so good. I just breathed with him. I was like, yeah, bud, you're, you're right. I just need to pause. I just need to take 60 seconds to breathe and to pause. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. They say that the two biggest mistakes that we can make in life is not starting and not finishing. And I believe that everything we've covered today and in this message is vitally important. But I think that some of us need to take the first step. My heart breaks for people that are trying to navigate this season currently that don't know Jesus, that don't have Jesus at the center of their lives. This church really exists of all the incredible things that we do, to see people propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. And sometimes I just want to get this microphone and start screaming, man, if you only knew what Jesus can do in your life, if you only knew the way that he transforms. So for some of us, we haven't started that walk with Jesus. And for some of us, as we discussed earlier, we have this problem with, with stopping. I think that something that stands in the way between you and I starting our walk with God, is shame. Or we think that we're not good enough. Or we think that we've done too much. 
or we're prideful and we're embarrassed. So I wanted to tell you this story. Some of you may have seen tattoos of it or seen memes of it on the internet. It simply says Judas 8, 2. And it's based out of John chapter 13. And we see Jesus is having a meal with his disciples and in these times you would walk into the, the room to have, a, to have a meal, to feast, and typically there would be somebody there to wash feet. Now Jesus knows that the man Judas, one of his disciples, this is one of his close friends, is going to betray him. Is ultimately going to be the reason that Jesus is sent to the cross. Yet Jesus decides that he's going to wash feet because there's nobody there to wash feet. So he washes Judas' feet. He washes all the disciples' feet. They sit, they eat, they feast. Judas eats. All the while, Jesus knows that he is going to betray him. And that's how Jesus feels about us. He's not scared of our shortcomings and our downfalls. There's nothing that you can do or have done that will keep Jesus from loving you. His love for us is unconditional. And I don't know where you're at right now currently, but I've been in a place in my life the day that I made a decision for Jesus was the day that I decided to listen to him and believe the love that he had for me. I've been in the place where I felt so ashamed of the person I was and the things that I've done that I didn't think anybody could love me that way. But I made the decision to accept him. I heard this song on the radio this morning on the way in here, and it's called A Love That Remains. And the lyrics say that all I could see was this mess that I made, but he wasn't phased. I found a love that remains. When we're in need, he seeks after us. When we turn away, his love won't change. He's paid off our debt and gave us rest. He's washing our weary feet, saving us a seat, and giving us his best. I came here today to tell you that Jesus' love runs wild for you and for I that he always comes running back to us. So if that's you today, if you're in a place where you would like to join this family, or if you're in a place where you would like to experience the joy and the love of Jesus, would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, today I give you my life. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen.